Welcome to the latest episode of Five on the Floor on the Five Reasons Sports Network. You can also find us on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. Dash Radio app is free, so download it. Search for Nothing But Net. You'll find us every Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. Pacific. Also, check out FiveReasonsSports.com. We put up, I think, 11 new pieces on there today, stories. But also, you can find our YouTube channel. We've got more than 5,000 subscribers all of the latest player interview videos on Zoom are on there, whether it's the Heat, the Dolphins, the Canes, or anybody else in South Florida. And we're actually going to play some of those for you here towards the end of this episode. You can also find our merchandise there. We're still running that special. As long as the Heat are in the playoffs, 10% off if you use the code FLOORPASS on our website. You can get all of our shirts. Also, check out all of our sponsors, supporting our sponsors help support us. We can vouch for all of these people. They're all South Florida sports fans also, which is an added bonus. One of them is our friend Gabe over at Gonzalez and Tybor. That's a law firm that is devoted to bankruptcy. Now, I know people say bankruptcy, and it's kind of a scary word, but it's actually one of the few laws that exists to actually help consumers. Nobody likes to consider it as an option, but COVID has changed plans for a lot of different people. And we also know that a recent report showed that over 45% of people use their stimulus checks to repay debt. You only got one stimulus check, right? That's gone. This is money that could have and should have been used to cover living expenses even before the pandemic. Household debt in this country, especially credit card debt, was going up and was hurting families and small businesses. So before you make another debt payment you can't afford or you do something drastic like emptying out your 401k or borrowing money from friends and family, you don't want to do that. Why don't you talk to a professional about your options? Contact Gonzalez and Tybor, bankruptcyisgoodforyou.com. That's 954 954- 378-8184-954-378-8184. Consultations always free and can be done by telephone or video conference. Again, one more time, 954-378-8184. Bankruptcy is good for you.com. And now today's episode. One, two, three, four, five on the floor. Welcome to Five on the Floor. A daily show on the Miami Heat and the NBA featuring Ethan Skolnick with Alphonse Sidney, Alex Toledo, and Greg Sylvander. Part of the Five Reasons Sports Network. All right, Ethan Skolnick back. Here's today's floor plan. No Greg Sylvander today, but you can catch him on the pod we did last night along with Nikias Duncan. Uh, that one is getting downloaded like crazy. That was our Eastern Conference Finals preview pod from a strategy perspective so we had Nikias on but today we're going to get more into sort of the big picture issues in this series and so we've got Alphonse Sydney joining us along with Alex Toledo Alf Alex and, and myself are going to go through five of the big narratives in this heat Boston Celtics matchup that starts Tuesday night at at a uh, six excuse me at 6 30 right it's tuesday night at 6 30 because denver has extended their series with the clippers to seven games so that one will be after and then game two we just found out is going to be thursday at 7 p.m eastern time with game three on saturday all right let's get right to it guys we got five topics today i want to start with the first narrative and i think this is the one that's going to catch the most attention outside of south florida because he's the one player that's polarizing enough but also popular enough in some places to garner attention from the heat. And that's the guy who turned 31 years old today, which is Jimmy Butler. I believe a lot of people are going to use this series 
as a referendum on whether Jimmy Butler is a superstar. There's no question he's a star. There's no question at this point that he makes his teams better, and when he leaves, they get worse. And last year, he was a couple of bounces away from pushing his team past Toronto uh, and ending up being a finals team. But I do think that when the national media tunes into this, the people have not watched, the fans around the country who have not watched the Heat all year long, it's going to be about Jimmy Butler, isn't it, Alf? Um, I think it is, but the thing is, I don't think Jimmy Butler cares, right? That's the thing. I think a lot of people are going to be disappointed. If they think that he's going to come out gunning or if they haven't, if they haven't watched a lot of the Heat this year, they think they're going to see 40, 50-point games from him, um, you know, just large output, high-volume shooting, they're going to be disappointed because I don't think Jimmy cares about his label after the the series, I, I think he cares about Eastern Conference champion for his team more than anything else. And I he's just he's shown us all year he's a team first guy, and that he'll sacrifice points, he'll sacrifice stats. He really doesn't. The only thing I I think he ever cares about is actually rebounds. <laughs> it's the only time he got we see him get upset about his stat with him and Myers when Myers stole his rebound, right? Um, so I don't think he I, I just don't think he cares, you know and. Like I said, I think people are just going to be disappointed. He's he's not going to come out here gunning. They're going to play, um, they're going to play the game they've been playing all playoffs, all regular season, ever since they've been in the bubble. And if they play that way against this team, I actually think there's going to be a lot of other guys um, that are going to get the scoring chances over Jimmy um, because of where the matchups lie. You know, Alex, uh, you saw today the video. I don't know if you saw it, the Heat put it out of the young players on the team, Akpala and Gabe Vincent singing happy birthday to Jimmy. And he said, he's screaming at them, eye contact. Uh, <laughs> no, I didn't see that. <laughs> uh, and, and I just, you know, I think the narrative on him has changed so much in terms of what type of a teammate he is. Like, I feel like that narrative is already in the past with some of what Alf's talking about. But I do feel like the narrative of what kind of player he is is still out there because I do think with both him and Bam, I sort of judge how educated a basketball fan you are based on whether or not you are fans of the way that the two of them play because it's not just about scoring. And I know when, when, when Jimmy was acquired, Pat Riley said he's a top 10 player in the league. He didn't say top 15, okay? He's a top 10 player in the league. Do you think there's a chance coming out of this series, beating a, a big market team in Boston, Obviously, we know, uh, you know, Bristol is very close to Boston. People are going to be paying attention at ESPN, which dictates sports coverage in this country still, that people are going to come out of this saying Jimmy Butler's a top 10 player. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, right, especially if they come out with the and, and actually win this series. I think that he, he's definitely going to get all that type of press. We know that he is kind of the face of the Heat nationally. And even if, like, I, I tend to agree with what you're saying about uh, – you know, if a fan is a casual or not, and the way that he looks at Jimmy and Bam and, and the way that they play together. But at the end of the day, whether you watch the Heat or not, whether you think they're good or not, I don't think anybody expects them to be here. I don't think people still even believe in them as a serious championship contender, even though they're going to be one of the last four teams left. And I don't know, like, it still feels like they're the underdog, and, and rightly so, right? They're the five seed. They weren't going to get that type of respect right away. They still have to come out and actually punch the Celtics in the face in game one and actually fight with them this series to get that recognition. I, I just don't think that people are going to consider Jimmy and Bam on the same impact as those other guys. But I'm, I'm there with you, man. Jimmy has been right over and over again, and so have the Heat. Just every single time they've, they've made a claim about where they're going to be this season and the type of talent that they have, 
that always seemed bold at first, they end up they end up being right. And I think the one that always sticks in my head is Spo calling Duncan Robinson one of the best shooters he's ever seen or whatever in like right. September or October. Like I, that's that was the boldest one to me. And we're like, what? This guy didn't even <laughs> this guy didn't but even sh- right, shoot though, well last season. But these people have been proven right over and over and over. But but you're right about that. He I has the impact of a top ten else. player. There's there's no doubt about it. And I think Bam is probably not as far away, even though we can say that I, I say that it's a 50, 50 impact on, on, on who's more important. Jimmy is probably the one that's a lot closer to top 10. I think nationally he'll be right there around 15. Well, you make a point about the bold statements they've made this year and which is not like them, but I, I remember when hero was drafted and Pat's, and we're going to talk about hero next, but, and Pat said, you know, this is the best sh- shooter we've had here in terms of a, a young player at a workout. And we were all like, what? Uh, the Duncan Robinson comment, <laughs> we were like, what? Uh, I, I think with Bam, we all kind of believed it once we started to see it a little bit on the court. But even the Jimmy top 10 player thing, and, and I think when you start to go through some of the names, they view him as a top 10 player because of the things that he's – they said it beforehand, guys, but it's because of the things we've seen in the bubble. That's why they viewed it, because they included the competitiveness, the leadership – and all of that, and obviously the defense in there. And we've seen so many players fade in the bubble, right? Okay, so Dame Lillard was great in the bubble, okay? Kawhi Leonard has pretty much been Kawhi in the bubble. LeBron has been LeBron in the bubble. AD, for the most part, has been AD in the bubble. James Harden fell apart at the end. Russell Westbrook fell apart at the end. Paul George has fallen apart. Pascal Siakam has we'll fallen say, apart. Jokic, Jokic is, is right Jokic in there, elevated. Jokic elevated. He got himself. Jokic to me is like eighth right now as far as top ten guys in the league. That's how high I am on him. That guy well, is just still, two straight years now in the playoffs. Doesn't even look shook whatsoever and just keeps like surprising us. But I think when you start to go to ten and you're like, all right, you know, beforehand you talk about top wings in the league, Alf, and you say – Okay, it's Kawhi. It's, if you assume LeBron is still a wing, he's kind of playing point forward. I don't really know what he's playing these days, but you kind of assume he's playing wing. So you had Kawhi. Uh, you had Paul George. I mean, you can certainly make an, a, a very compelling case that Jimmy Butler has been more impactful than Paul George in the bubble, right? I don't think anybody would argue with you about that, right? I, nope. Just the, you know, the playoffs make, make careers. So – a lot of times when we have these conversations, we just we boil it down to numbers, and it's like when we're on when we're on Heat Twitter and we're on NBA Twitter and we're arguing uh, James Harden versus Dwayne Wade, right? And it's in the middle of the season, and and James Harden is dropping sixty on the Hornets. You know, everyone's losing their minds, and then you get to the playoffs, and now everybody's looking at that that comparison, and there's like, don't ever do that again. Because it's, it's about what happens when these things matter the most, right? And I know that's a lot of, you know, intangible stuff. And, you know, I, if Nikias was on here, he'd kill me. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, how many, like, I've tweeted it a thousand times. Jimmy Butler only makes three-pointers when they matter. Like, he's just one of these guys that – Jump shots in general. It just It's just like when it matters, he's going to get it done. And it's like – it's one of the things that – and like I said, it's an intangible. It's one of those things you really can't put your hand on. And it's hard to it's hard if you don't watch the Heat every day to look at a box score and say, oh, Jimmy's a top 10 player in the league. But if you watch the Heat every day and you know that, you know, down five or six with three, four minutes to go, they are, they're in the game. And it's because Jimmy won't let them lose. 
right? And there's not a, there's not that many guys that have that right now. And you you look around the league with the the, the teams that are left, like mm-hmm. how many of those guys are still out there? Well, not many, but you, I mean, you mentioned I think because well, even Ken, Kawhi, look look at Kawhi right? keeps letting his team lose. He he does, and and there there was some, there's some good strategic stuff that explains some of that today, which we're not gonna have time to get into. But yeah, I, I mean, I think we've seen with Denver. Uh, what Jokic and Murray have done together is that they both kind of shown that competitive medal. And that is what the heat were talking about with Jimmy. I think the other thing that's happened here, and we're going to transition to number two, but I think the other thing that's happened is that the bubble became an extended playoffs, right? So I don't think of this, the playoffs starting when the playoffs started, the playoffs kind of started when the seeding games did in my view, I know there were a couple that the play teams took off. The heat took off that last one against Indiana, but some of those games had meaning, and but the big thing is everybody was watching them, right? So it felt like the playoffs, okay? And so, and I think you go to the beginning of that, Devin Booker elevated himself, right? Obviously, Jamal Murray has elevated himself, and certain other guys, Westbrook is one, maybe COVID played into it, Paul George is another, uh, you know, Siakam is the most obvious example in the East, they, they, and Oladipo too, to an extent, I mean, a lot of guys and, and not really Giannis, but some of his teammates, they faded. Eric Bledsoe faded again. So I think just the fact that Jimmy can play at the same level or better when everybody's watching to me makes him a superstar. And, and I think we're going to start to have that characterization after this. All right. After a word from safe cubbies, we're going to get to some of the young players in this series. I want to introduce you to another of the great new sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and it is a sponsor that would be important in any time if you want to have a beautiful workspace, but it's especially important now when you need a safe one as well, and that's safecubbies.com, which offers modular office solutions designed to elevate your open office into a modern and safe environment at any budget. You can personalize your workspace with options like whiteboards, magnetic panels, acrylic sheets, and graphic branding. Most of the surfaces are non-porous for easy cleaning and can be removed or replaced within minutes. Now, this is for workplaces. They've got a bunch of different options on their professional series, but also they've got private room solutions, dividers and sneeze guards, and they have a classroom series as well. So if you're involved with the school, this is definitely something your school should check out, of course, if we have school in the fall. And that's the point here. We are entering a new normal period with COVID-19, safecubbies.com, which is locally owned is the place that you want to go. The phone number is 754-216-1071. Again, that's 754-216-1071 or safecubbies.com. All right, Ethan Skolnick back, Alex Toledo, Alphonse Sidney. Let's get to the second narrative here, and that is this. These two teams, and we're going to talk more about Riley and Ainge going forward, so I don't want to do a ton of it here, but these two teams are set up to be competitors and contenders against each other for a while now, similar to what we saw when, except a little different because that was a Boston, not, I'm not going to call them a dynasty. I'm not going to give them the satisfaction, but that was a, a Boston contending group that did win a championship that got older while they the think Heat, they're a dynasty, though. They think. They, they, all, they all think. But we can't be too hard on them because Kendrick Perkins is a Heat fan now, so I'm not going to do it. But when the Heat were uh, building up, obviously, with the big three, but those teams obviously had, you know, a couple of really compelling series against each other, and then the Heat stole Ray Allen, and Jason Terry died, and we know everything that happened there. But these two teams are set up to bug each other for a long time, okay? And Riley and Ainge have a lot to do with that. 
But the major reason is they already have, it's not like they're just holding draft picks like Ainge was hoarding all these picks. They have legitimate young stars on their roster that they've drafted, that we've already seen what they are. And three of the four of them that we're going to talk about here are already all-stars. Okay, well, two, I'm sorry, two of the four. Jalen Brown could have been. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Bam Adebayo, and Tyler Hero. I know we could talk about you know, DJJ or Kendrick Nunn, but I want to focus on those four. Are we going to come out of this series saying that the Heat's young players, their two best young players, are on the level of Boston's best young players, Alex? That's, that's a tough one, man. I, it's really tough because I think at the end of the day, people look at a guy like Jason Tatum and look at him as kind of the mold for the type of wing scorer, playmaker, shot creator. And, I mean, the guy is a great defender, too. Like he is almost seemingly the mold for the type of guy that you want, right? Even though not that he's some perfect player. We know he's not. But uh, I, I don't think we're going to get to that level. I mean, maybe if – I mean, if they beat him, if they beat him, I think you'll definitely hear that type of talk. I'm just a little bit skeptical because I know how people look at Tatum. Tatum is getting kind of like the Luka treatment a little bit where they're kind of like both being ushered into the, the top ten in the NBA. And I don't know if people are going to look at Bam that way anytime soon. But if you look at what, what Hero has turned into, and uh, I don't know if we're counting Duncan and Nunn into this, but these guys are essentially rookies in the NBA, whether they, you know, even if Duncan Robinson is the same age as Brad Beal or whatever. Uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, the Heat's, uh, it's going to be on the up and up, right? I, I think there's almost no doubt that they're going to push them in this series, if, if not just beat them. And because of that, they're absolutely going to get more respect. I think people are going to kind of take Hero more seriously. I think he's kind of a joke on NBA Twitter. I think people are starting to respect him more now because, like, oh, this guy – you know, uh, DiVincenzo was supposed to be very good, and he just completely won that matchup, by the way. Like, DiVincenzo was nowhere to be found for the Bucks, And Hero, I think, has really proved himself over time and completely got him better. We obviously know Bam is just as important to, to winning as Jimmy is. I think they're really close, man. I do. Like, I don't think Hero and Jalen Brown are that far from each other considering the growth we've seen from Hero. Like, I don't know how long it'll take before he's just better than Jalen Brown, right? The The, the defense is the the real distinguisher there, but I just don't think that it's as far as maybe others would seem to think. Well, Boston has another guy, uh, Romeo Langford, who hasn't even really gotten any time yet, who is another kind of, he's their KZ relatively high first round pick. Exactly. He's their KZ. And we haven't even talked about KZ and no KZ is not going to play a big role in this series. I know he Twitter uh, is all getting into that, but But uh, Ethan, that's a Testament, by the way, what I'm, what we're talking about right now is a Testament to what the heat have been able to do with like, compared to what the types of assets that the Celtics have had. I mean, we've had this conversation how many times over the past few years about philosophies and building teams. And they're almost like they're in a very similar position, right? Like Kemba and Jimmy and uh, are kind of like the the veteran stars in the team. And then they've got other guys who are just like, you know, very important to the team. And and, and I just think like they're a year or two away from from being just as good. And that's crazy. That's crazy because it's just like these are 13 and 14 picks. And, you know, Tatum and Brown were the third picks. You know what I'm saying? Like, they've... Well, Romeo Langford was basically picked where, where Bam and Hero were, right? He was a mid-round pick in the first round. And you're right. We're comparing Casey Akpala, who was a second-round pick, even though they traded three picks to go up and get him. Let's get to Alex's point here, though. Let, let's compare the, the, the two players, Al. If I was to say to you, you can build your franchise, your modern NBA franchise, around Jason Tatum, who probably should have been the first overall pick in that draft, 
or you can build it around Bam out of bio. Who do you choose? Um, I'm going with Bam, and I know I probably sound like a homer. Um, there, there's things about I, I, I like Jason Tatum as a player. I like the fact that he defends. I think, um, you know, he's probably the closest thing uh, we have to a Kobe right now. Um, and I know there's a lot of those comparisons. He's way too young. He's not there yet, but he kind of has some of that mentality. But, but at the same time, some of that mentality is what scares me from building my team around him. Um, I think as his confidence grows, uh, some of that, some of that shot chucking is going to grow. And I don't feel I sometimes he has those like really, really inefficient games from time to time that kind of just take his entire team and the entire offense out of what they're trying to do. Um, Bam is always going to be part of the system and whatever you're trying to run. He is always, I mean, defensively, he's going to be the anchor and offensively he can, he can kind of morph himself into anything you're, you're trying to do. And he is the prototypical modern day five right now. I mean, he can guard one through five. He moves his feet. He can protect the rim. Not as, you know, not the level. He's one of a kind. Yeah. He's not the level of a seven footer, but like, man, he's just, like you can put him out there and you just never really worry about his matchup. And you also know that he's smart enough to help on someone else's matchup. And I, as far as like, you know, the Heat's two players versus their two young players, the problem with the, with, with the way NBA, the NBA uh, audience sees it is there's people already putting Jason Tatum above Jimmy Butler. So it's going to be very hard for the Heat to come out of the series, even with a win, with anybody saying that Bam... Yep and uh, Tyler are better than Jay, uh, Tatum and Jalen. You got to give I, him credit, though, because Tatum, I wouldn't put him ahead of Jimmy. But he, for the fact that he's even in that conversation yes, now is crazy. Honestly, he, he's he, in that conversation. And that's why I think I, – I, I personally think Tyler just needs, to, uh, you know, a year or two more yeah. before they, so we start talking about them in that conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 this, this series might end up being Tatum, Bam, Tyler, Jalen in that order. And then there's a conversation there. But most likely, it's going to be Tatum, Bam, Jalen, Tyler, uh, no matter what the outcome is. And and that's not shorting Tyler at all. But who knows? Tyler can come out and score 23 points he's, a game. Well, let's, 20 let's years old, it, man. He, he should not be expected to be better than Jalen Brown. But I do agree that he could be there. He, I think the, the level that he's played at in the playoffs is not that far. You obviously take Brown because of the defense, and, and, and that's big. But he is not that far off, man. What he's doing right now is advanced. And he's only 20 years old. And... Like Ethan has said so many times, this is not what Spo does, man. He doesn't just trust these young guys like that with so much responsibility. He's been constantly in the closing lineup. It's not – we thought – we all said before the, the playoffs started that they would be rotating the closing lineup. And, um, and although they have just a little bit, it's mostly been the same five-man group with Hero Ethan, there. he's played more fourth-quarter minutes than anybody in the playoffs. In the, in, in the league, yeah. I mean, he's, play, he's played more than anybody else. I, I think this gets to the one last part of this debate we'll have before we're going to get into – into Spo and Stevens, which is if you were to say the type of player, again, because you're talking about Bam and Tatum, and I think one of the reasons you're leaning towards Bam, Alf, is because he's so unique, whereas whereas Tatum has a chance to be an elite, elite wing, but there are other elite wings like him, and, and there aren't a lot like Bam. So let's take the same argument to Hero and Brown. Um, what is more valuable in the modern NBA? Is it the, the shooter who also can run pick and roll and create, which I think is what they're trying to do with him to turn him into a Booker like player, a Trey young like player to a certain degree, or is it the stout defensive wing 
um, who can also make big shots. Maybe is not as much of a creator, but can move off the ball, plays with strength. He's also made like Jalen Brown a lot does. of strides as a creator this year. Not, he's definitely he has, not but he's not, he's not their primary, but, but he is definitely there. Which, which is more valuable? What type of player is more valuable in the modern NBA? Jalen, Jalen type or the Tyler type? You're talking about, uh, and this is going to sound almost uh, disrespectful to, to Jalen Brown, right? The Heat needed wings, wing defenders in the middle of the season. They were able to make, make a trade for two really good ones, right? And uh, Andre Godala and Jay Crowder. I'm not saying that those guys are on Jalen Brown's level. Andre Godala, of course, just because of age. or And Jay Crowder, just he's just not that guy. But wing defenders, as hard as they are to come by, like, you can find them. There, there are those guys out there. There are but no BAMs. There are no BAMs. And how many, how many three-level scorers are there? And Tyler Hero is starting – not starting. He's proven he's a three-level scorer and a shot creator. Um, and that, is he at an elite level when it comes to that? Not yet. Um, defensively, did, I, did, I feel like he, he held his own. I don't think he – I mean, I, I, they, I know they attacked him a lot, but I don't, I don't feel like he just – he was a turnstile out there, but yeah, he's no Jalen Brown on, on uh, defense. But when it comes to th- uh, three level score on offense, you know, a lot where so many guys are specialists now, right? You have your rim runner, you have, uh, there's barely any mid range guys anymore. You have your spot up shooters and you have one or two guys per team that can, that can score on, on, on every single level. And Tyler's one of those guys. So yeah, I mean, Jalen Brown definitely isn't. Exactly. So if you're talking about who's better right now, you're going to say Boston. But when I look at which two guys have a brighter future playing together long term, like, you know, as as we see the NBA evolving, I'm going to say Bam and Tyler. Uh, you know what's uh, interesting? The name you mentioned, isn't Andre Iguodala a, a good comp for Jalen Brown? Like in terms yes, of where, like where, so. where, where Jalen yeah. Brown would want to take his game? I'm talking yeah. about uh, I'm talking about prime Andre Iguodala. I'm not talking about 36 year old Andre Iguodala, but if you, yeah, if you think about, about the strength, guy. no, I just don't think he's a he's the creator that Iguodala was naturally. But he's not he's not far off. He's not bad. I just think he's more of like a downhill guy, more than, well, than somebody who you can you give the ball of, and he could create in the pick and roll. Like he Alex, makes reads Alex, if you remember everything. if you remember Andre in Philly, he wasn't a creator. He, that creation stuff kind of started. He had the ability. Um, but that, that no, they asked him to, the, the problem, the problem with Iggy in, in Philly was that they asked him to be a lead guy when he wasn't, I mean, he, yeah. he was always suited to be in his prime. He was suited to be the second guy. Like but they and, were competitive and, though. I don't think Jalen Brown they, could do what Iguodala did in Philly. Mm, like, I, I well, don't well no, I, do I don't think guy. he's there. I don't think he's there yet, but I do think that, that I don't know. I think there's a little bit of a comp there. I mean, again, the problem with Iggy was, I mean, they had no, Drew holiday, but he was, they had drew holiday, but he was too young. Uh, they had Lou Williams, but he hadn't sort of emerged into that role yet. I mean, they had a nice little team, but I mean, they ran into the big three heat. So that wasn't going to work out. All right. We're going to get to the Stevens Spolster part of this before we do though, I want to talk about another great sponsor of the five reason sports network. And that's Keystone chiropractic. You know, unless you're a manual laborer or a high level athlete, you're more likely to have back pain because you're not lifting enough weights instead of lifting too much weight. Many back injuries occur because of deconditioning or chronic sitting. One of the most effective ways to help heal and prevent back pain is by increasing core and back strength by lifting weights. If you want guidance on a weightlifting or core strengthening program, they can put together at Keystone Chiropractic a plan for you through a free consultation 
and a telehealth visit. That's something you can do right there on your computer. Get more health tips like this and more by following Keystone Neuro, that's K-E-Y-S-T-O-N-E-N-E-U-R-O, or at Dr. Jonathan Chung on Twitter and Instagram. And the website is chiropractickeystone.com. All right, let's get to number three. And this has been one of the great Twitter debates for the past few years because Brad Stevens was the chosen one. You know, ever since, you know, he emerged from college, um, obviously had great success at a small university, led them to some prominence, went to Boston where everything gets hyped, um, kind of took over the program from Doc Rivers and ended up, you know, winning with a scrappy group, which included two of the current Heat players, Olenek and Crowder. They couldn't get over the hump. But if you look at those teams with Isaiah Thomas as their most impactful scorer, a guy who is right now begging to get back in the league on Twitter uh, and can't find a place to play, they had a lot of success uh, without stars. Then he gets stars. He gets Kyrie Irving. Obviously, Ainge hoarded all those assets. They had a team last year with, with Brown and Tatum emerging and with Irving and with Horford. Uh, that a lot of people thought could contend for a championship. It blew up largely because Stevens couldn't control Kyrie. And then you have the comparison, Eric Spolstra, who has been criticized for winning with superstars, which is something that Brad Stevens could not do. Um, I was listening to their, their Zoom calls today. There's obviously great respect between the two of them. I know that Eric has a lot of respect for Brad Stevens. Right now, uh, Alex, who is the better coach, and how do you think that the perceptions of them as a coach will change after this series? Well, I definitely think whoever wins this series is, is going to get a lot of the love for being the, the maybe the best coach in the league because I think Nick Nurse was kind of getting a lot of that love, and I don't know if that's still the case considering there was some weird stuff going on in that Raptors series. Uh, I think it's kind of I, – I think that's where we're at right now, man, and – that's why this, I think this, this series feels so important. Like there's so much, uh, there's so many narratives on the line, like we're talking about here. And, and I just don't think it's a question right now that Spoh is the better coach. Like I think he's proven it over and over and over again. And Stevens has to a certain degree, he just hasn't proven it on the same levels. Yes, he hasn't had LeBron. Yes, he didn't have Dwayne Wade. We do know that uh, he coaches and kind of gets more out of a roster than maybe we would expect. We've seen it time and again, except – Last season, I think last season was a really kind of something that tainted him a little bit, right? Like, I think that was really ugly the way that it ended. And just the whole season was very much a drag. And they they were supposed to be where they're at right now. And I don't even think they were even really close, right? Like, they lost in five in the second round. And they were never really uh, a threat to the Bucks. And I just don't know. Like you said, the, the Kyrie thing. Like, I think Spo should get credit for handling the big three the way he did and where it's kind of obvious that he was always uh, LeBron's best coach. And those are tough personalities, man. I, I know you know better than anyone on this call that that's true. So I think Spo kind of gets the favor there. The fact that he's won it at the biggest levels, then they're both great, like, uh, chess guys on during games. They're both game planners. They both, they're both great defensive coaches. They both get a lot out of their talent. But I think that just objectively, you have to give it to Spo. The, a lot of get, what gets talked about, Alf, is after timeout plays. And I remember a couple of years ago, everybody oh, was, God. Everybody was gushing. Right. ATOs, as they're called, if you don't know. Like the, that's the, the only thing about coaching that matters. But anyway. Right. Well, and there was a lot of that with Brad Stevens. And then I think somebody dug up the numbers and I might have been Coop and showed that actually Spolstra was the best out of timeouts in the NBA. 
I do feel like, and I don't want to disparage Brad Stevens because in my view, he's a top five coach in the league. And I also like him a lot personally. I like the way he handles his players. And, and I will say this, I'm not going to take anything away from what Spo did with LeBron because we know what the challenge that was. And I can go on for several podcasts about that. There is no challenge in the NBA like Kyrie Irving. I can just tell you, I was around both LeBron and Kyrie in Cleveland. There is no challenge in the NBA like Kyrie Irving. So I'm not going to pin all of that on Brad Stevens. But just generally. Definitely not. Do, do you think it's died down at all, Alf? Like in terms of the, the Brad Stevens over Eric Spolstra love? Yeah, I think he, uh, he lost a little bit of his shine last year. Uh, when he had, you know, the, he had a squad and he went out there and, and they just looked terrible. And then some of that's now he's getting some of that love back. And it's going to be funny, right? I, I want to see the, the, the national media spin on it when is it going to be like, you know, Boston and Brad Stevens and the scrappy group of guys. Or are they going to, you know, highlight the fact that the team is full of high draft picks, right? Uh, you know, they're supposed uh, to be here. Yeah, they were, exactly. They were supposed to be in the finals last year. I mean, before that season started, didn't I, I, didn't most people think that they were going to be right there, like as a as a? But Alex, contender? you already know. You already know where how this stuff goes. Like the narratives just somehow get flipped and turned on their head. And you know, is it going to be? Oh, look at what Eric Spolstra couldn't do it with. Uh, with a star in Jimmy Butler, or are they going to actually look at this Heat team and say, look at what Eric, Eric Spolstra and Jimmy Butler are doing with a bunch of low to late, uh, late lottery picks, undrafted guys, and cast-offs? There's no like, question about it. And I, nobody yeah. expected the Heat to be here. They're a five seed. When was the last time the five seed was in the finals? It's for 2014. I think it was Memphis. Mm -hmm. Oh, the, no, the NBA finals? Oh, the, the conference finals is it, I the Grizzlies? It was, it was a Grizzlies. I mean, that's but, just not but, something that happens often, man. It's like going to be app For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The, the Heat are playing with house money. Like, they, the pressure, I think, is more on the Celtics because they're the ones that are favored, It absolutely man. should be, right? It absolutely should be. And they're the, the ones pressure with the top should be on, The pressure should be on Brad Stevens. Like, Brad Stevens should be in hot seat mode. Like, if he comes out here and loses in four or five games against the Heat, is 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 it is, is it a, a Budenholzer thing where we're wondering about his job security? Uh, like, <laughs> I, I listen. I'm not saying it should be, but like any other, the narrative behind Brad Stevens is just is just going to be interesting to see what happens. Like how they turn the Heat into a juggernaut and the, like the Heat Boston, swept them, huh? If the Heat swept them, maybe. <laughs> I'm just saying. I, I'm I'm just interested in what the narrative is going to be when the Heat turn into a, this juggernaut that's only lost one game in the playoffs and this hardworking group from Boston. Like I I I want to see what they do because it's yeah, so Alf. I I don't think Brad's going to get much much. It's there's not going to be a Boonholzer situation here. I, I think for I think if it was going to happen, it would have happened last year. I, I I think that people perceive this Boston team as a slight overachiever this year because. I don't think that the national public viewed Kemba as an upgrade over Kyrie and you lost Horford. So nobody knew who Daniel Tice was. 
And the bench is a bunch of no names. I mean, there's nobody on that bench that anybody knows. Wanamaker, the two Williams. I, I just, I don't, I, I don't think that there's going to be, I understand what you're saying that the Heat You don't know Semi Ojale? No, well, most people don't know Semi Ojale, no. <laughs> so, so I, I don't think that there's going to be, I don't think there's going to be any backlash against Brad. I don't think it's going to be like, well, he's the best coach who's never gotten to the finals. I, I actually think this may be the first time that Eric Spolster gets proper credit. I feel like we've been heading that direction all year. I understand he finished fourth in coach of the year voting. If they hadn't faded so much right before the COVID break, I think that might've looked different. They didn't play very well the month before the break. And then he didn't get a chance to fatten up on those bad teams that he was supposed to, the way the schedule was supposed to look. So he might've ended up finishing in the top two or three in coach of the year voting. If things had played out the way they were supposed to play out. But I, I do feel like there's been, a, a change in the view of him. I, I, even some of the national media dopes, the carnival barkers have come around on him a little bit. I think if he beats Brad Stevens, I think he's going to get credit. I don't think it's going to be about Brad. I think people have been looking to pounce on Boonholzer. They were looking to pounce. They were looking to pounce on doc. I mean, this may be the third time that doc blows a three, one lead in the playoffs. Okay. <laughs> okay. Did you see that clip that came out that was going uh, kind of viral on NBA Twitter today where Phil Jackson in a huddle, when he was coaching the Lakers against the Celtics in the finals, was pulling out a stat in the middle of like an intense fourth quarter about how Doc Rivers Celtics teams give up fourth quarter leads all the time and that they're not a good clutch team. <laughs> oh my God. Well, it's right, amazing no, that he, that comes out right now. He's going to start getting some of that. And some of the other coaches, I mean, I think Vogel is semi-safe for now, but no LeBron coach ever is safe uh, if they end up failing. I think that Quinn Snyder pretty much got away with it to a certain degree because people think that they overachieved. But look, they were Dantoni, missing Dantoni was going to Dantoni was going to get it if he didn't walk first, right? And by the way, mm -hmm. am I going to get credit when he takes the Pelicans job? Because I think I'm the first person. To, I said this on a podcast like three weeks ago. No, you and Spo aren't getting any credit this offseason. Damn okay? it, damn it, damn it. All right. Well, anyway, my final thought, that's my final thought on that. We want to get to more stuff. But I want to tell you about You Break Wheel Fix, which is a real wheel repair and refinishing company located in North Miami with 15 years of experience. They can fix bent or cracked wheels that are damaged on the streets of South Florida. You guys know how those streets are. They have fast turnaround times on most oh repairs. And, an yeah, Uber exactly. driver, man. Jesus Christ. You, know what? you should do this spot because you have to deal with this more than anybody else. They have fast turnaround times on most repairs. And they even offer loaner wheels while they fix or refinish your wheels. So they, that's that you can keep your car on the road without interruption. Are your wheels fading, faded or peeling? You Break Wheel Fix offers complete refinishing back to factory standards. Or if you're just bored with them, you're bored with the look, You Break Wheel Fix offers over 5,000 different finishes to customize the look of your wheels. Don't spend money on new wheels when you can renew them at You Break Wheel Fix. And they've got the vice-colored ones. They've got the dolphin. I don't know if you want to rep the dolphin ones after that performance in New England, but get the vice ones, okay? They also offer a full line of custom wheels and tires for every vehicle application, and they offer in-house repair and complete vehicle customization. So reach out to You Break Wheel Fix. They're in North Miami, 305-748-0112, 305-748-0112. Zero one one two or youbreakwheelfix.com. You can also find them on Google, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, or even Yelp. And here's the thing: I used to say that. Mention Five Reasons Sports when you call. You get ten percent off your repair. And we're doing a contest, which is a six hundred dollar value on a set of wheels. We're gonna give you a set of words over the course of the next three episodes. So you gotta listen to all three episodes, okay? Today's word in honor of the player that I said nobody would know 
outside of real NBA fans is semi or semi ogile. That's the word. S-E-M-I. Okay, Great so name. write that one down. You got two more to go. All right, now back to the episode. Um, let's get to Riley and Ainge. And, you know, I've, I've told this many times. I'm going to write a column about this for tomorrow. I thought the high point of the Heat's big three era, the absolute apex, was coming off of a 27-game winning streak in the 2012-2013 season with LeBron playing at an insane level. They lose one game because basically LeBron was pissed off about what he thought was a dirty foul by a few dirty fouls by Kirk Heinrich of all people. They lose that game to Chicago. Dwayne Wade was ecstatic because he wanted the winning streak to be over with. So you'd have to, the, the media would stop following them around. They go to new Orleans the next night to play the Pelicans. I imagine the Hornets at that point. I can't remember. And we're standing outside the locker room in new Orleans. And this is after shoot around where I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit. At shoot-around, LeBron became aware of these comments by Danny Ainge on WEEI in Boston, where he was basically calling LeBron soft and a whiner for complaining about the Kirk Heinrich fouls. I don't know why Danny Ainge got involved in this. It had nothing to do with him. But LeBron ended up sort of pulling, I believe it was myself, Joe Goodman, and it might have been Brian Windhorst aside afterwards to bitch about Danny Ainge. This was at shoot-around, Okay. Before the game, we're waiting outside the locker room. I think we just talked to Eric Spolster. We're waiting to go inside. And Tim Donovan, the VP of Communications, Media Relations for the Heat, for ever since Pat Riley's come down, comes outside and he says, we ha- I have a statement from Pat. And we're like, okay. And so calls like four <laughs> of us over. It might have been me, Winhorse, Goodman, and one other. And he's like, Danny Ainge needs to shut the fuck up and manage his own team. And we all so he read it to you guys in a group. I he read it to us. He had it written down. Timmy had it written down on a on. <laughs> I thought it was in, like just like an email release. No, I, he, <laughs> he, I think he wrote it down in a napkin. From what I remember, he had it written down. It wasn't even oh on his my phone. God. He, I'll have to ask. Him. He had it written down. He comes and again, New Orleans is very cramped as this quarter. He comes outside. Danny Ainge needs to shut the fuck up and manage his own team. And we all looked at each other like wait, that's real? And I was, and, and we're like, we can use that? And Tim's like, use it. And I was so flustered that I actually tweeted it wrong. I said, Dan, I tweeted, Danny Age needs to shut the fuck up and coach his own team. And I was scrambling to delete the tweet. The second part of that is two minutes after that, the locker room opens. Very small visiting locker room in New Orleans. LeBron James is lying down in the middle of the floor with Mike Mancius, his personal trainer, who had joined the Heat by that time, stretching him. And LeBron was doing what he often did before games, which is lying back on his back while he's getting stretched, scrolling through his phone. And you could tell because we walked behind him, he was basically scrolling through our tweets because at the time he followed all of us. And he just looked at us and smiled. And I thought that was the high moment of the entire big three era because it seemed like LeBron, Pat Riley had won LeBron James love forever. Didn't turn out that way. Obviously (laughs) they won, they won another championship. LeBron left a year and a half later, but at that point taking down Danny Ainge was like the way to LeBron James heart. And it so fit the entire Riley Ainge dynamic, which was so why did, why did LeBron uh, resent Danny Ainge or whatever? 
Because Danny Ainge called his ass out on WEI. He got involved in his business, basically calling LeBron a whiner for complaining about uh, Kirk oh. Heinrich's hard fouls. And so this was Pat jumping to the defense of his star, who he thought was going to be with oh, him. Oh, this is decade. direct sequence. Okay, okay, okay Yes, okay. This, is all, this is all connected. And so I thought right then, and we all said, I remember Windhorse wrote a column, I believe that night or the next day, saying, you know, Pat Riley has sort of laid the groundwork to show this is my guy now and forever. He, he rushed to the defense of LeBron James, and he used Danny Ainge, his longtime foil, longtime rival, as the way to do it. Fast forward. The Heat win. Um, Boston gets eliminated that year. They don't even get to play the Heat in the playoffs. They got eliminated earlier. That team gets old, breaks up. Ainge trades the parts, the stars, the aging stars, for all of those draft picks while the Heat win another championship and then obviously fade in 2014, and now they're both back, okay? To me, this is the storyline of the series. It's Riley and Ainge because all these years later, 30-something years later since those matchups between the Celtics and the Lakers, and I know you were involved in those, Alf, as a fan on the other side of it, they still hate Danny Ainge. (laughs) He's still the foil. Well, it's cool because it's – this the the way when 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 you got the big three Celtics versus the big three Heat, it, there were sim there were similarities there, right? In the way those two teams formed, there are no similarities between the way these two teams have formed. There's no asset building on the Heat side. There's no high draft picks. You know, there's there's no hoarding like Danny Ainge has done. Uh, they've built these teams completely different, and they're back here again facing off. And it's cool for us as fans because we hate the Celtics. Like, you were asking me, is this team hateable? And I said, yes. It doesn't matter. that We may not like we may not hate the guys on the team. Like, I never hated James Posey or Keon Dooling when they were on the Celtics. But I hated the Celtics. No one hated Eddie House. No, you don't hate – some of those guys you don't hate. But you just hate the Celtics and you hate no Danny Ainge. You hate the way they go about their business. You know, we, we, we have our reasons down here as brown people why we don't like Boston. <laughs> I mean, there's a whole lot of reasons why these, uh, you know, the Heat fans and the Boston fans don't like each other. And for the front offices to not like each other just puts a little bit more spice into it, right? So this is – and I, I called it before the end of the Raptors-Celtics series that this is the team that I as a fan wanted to face. There was more juice to it, and I also feel like – they match I'm up all the better. way with you. Yeah. There's way more juice to this series. Uh, the Raptors are actually super likable. Like, that's a hard team to even you, you, you hate Masai Ujiri. Like, yeah, their front the- office is more likable. Their fans are more likable. I, I don't, I don't think it's as well. I think to the, the players to a degree, but it really, it's, it's Ujiri is more likable and, and Toronto fans are too damn nice, to be honest. Um, yeah. Boston so fans it- are not. I, I can't talk a lot of shit on, on Heat Twitter to Toronto fans. It's just going to be me yelling at Giancarlo Navas. Like, <laughs> it's, it's not going to be. But let's look at it from a basketball perspective from the two of the Alex, because Ainge was criticized a lot, uh, not for the initial move, because obviously he gutted the Nets, and it's taken the Nets till now, and now the Nets are going to be a competitor now to, to build themselves out of it. But he, he look, he robbed the Nets, right? He robbed a bunch of teams for draft picks. I mean, he learned the lesson. He always talked about learning the lesson of the bird McHale parish group, that that group that nobody was traded, they, they all stayed till the end and that team decayed 
right? And then the Celtics, everybody forgets, but get out of the 80s and get into the 90s. And there was a lot of garbage, okay? Pretty terrible teams, okay? And even with Pierce, even with Antoine Walker, there was some damn crappy teams. There were some tanking teams. ML Carr captained the tanking team. And, and they were not good for a long period of time until they convinced Kevin Garnett to go what he considered to be a racist city, basically, and, and were able to pull him in and, and then made the trade of Jeff Green to bring in Ray Allen. So he, he robbed the Nets, and he built it, but then he had all these assets, but they didn't make the trade for Anthony Davis when they could have. They didn't make the trade for Kawhi Leonard when they could have. He Butler. kept hoarding, hoarding these assets, and yet he still has a team in the conference finals. So is he validated in your view? Yeah, Uh I mean, I don't know how else you can say that. Like, they have been a top five team on offense and defense all year. I think the young guys are absolutely very good prospects. Yeah, I mean, I think they're both validated in a way like we like we talked about so many times. They have different philosophies. Uh, you know, I, there's nothing really else to, to say about it. They're an elite team. I don't really see any any fluke about it. I'm not saying that they're going to be, you know, the, the king of the East or anything like that. We've got, we want to talk about that Celtics Nets trade. Let's see how we think about it next year when KD and Kyrie are back and the Nets are suddenly looking <laughs> better than the Celtics. But uh, well, I know that doesn't have to do with the trade. All I'm saying is I, I do think they've been validated there. They're going to be in this mix of the top Eastern conference teams for years to come. Well, I, what I will say is uh, both Ainge and Riley and the, Cel- the Celtics, the Raptors, the Heat, the three teams that were left in the Eastern Conference have all three proven that the process, you don't need the process, right? Um, You can stay competitive and continue to build a team by drafting intelligently, signing good free agents, making good trades. And even when you make mistakes, like Ethan, you just listed how many mistakes Danny Ainge has made, Mm -hmm. right? We can list how many mistakes Pat Riley has made. You know, People have been praising the Raptors, but we were talking a lot of crap about DeRozan and Kyle Lowry a few years ago, right? Yep. You know, that way they just kept slamming their head into LeBron, right? So what, what it shows you is that there's, a, there's ways to build and stay competitive the entire time, and you can make mistakes. But if you're the type of team that continues to focus on winning and being competitive and, and a strong structure more than anything, you could always find your way out of the mistakes. So th- that's when, when somebody tells me, you know, go back to Sedano, I'd rather be the Sixers. At the, <laughs> time, at the time he said that, yes, it did look like the Sixers had a brighter future, but I've always trusted the guys like Pat Riley, Danny Ainge, Masai Jerry, good GMs, good franchises to find their ways out of bad situations. I, I trust the 76ers to find a way out of a good situation. So, it- But, Alf, to your point, and I think here's the key point. The, main, the one trade since the Nets trade that Ainge made that put the Celtics where they are now is the Tatum mm-hmm. trade. And in the Tatum trade, he robbed the Sixers. Right. He, 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 he the Sixers took full that he he flipped picks. Okay. Picked up a first allowed the Sixers to take Fultz, who I still think has a chance to be a player, but the Sixers screwed that whole thing up from the very beginning bad and they didn't get enough for him in a trade because they're a bad franchise. And then, and then not, and then he ends up getting Tatum who probably should have been in retrospect first overall with the third pick. 
and now they're here, and that is the single biggest trade of, of all the moves they made. Taking Jalen Brown was not a no-brainer at the time. Turned out to be the right pick. But the Tatum trade is the reason they're here. That's the major reason they're here. And, and for that, he took advantage of a bad franchise, well, basically. I mean, wait, didn't, didn't Pat Sixers. Riley just do the same thing with Jimmy Butler? <laughs> like, is one thing? Yeah, right. I mean, right. Oh, hold on, hold there on, hold on. There was a tweet today. I'd rather the Sixers. There was a tweet that angle, today man. that, that – no, no, that angle's been said on Twitter. That that was out there today that basically the 76ers are responsible <laughs> for this Eastern Conference Finals. Oh, they are. my God. They, they, they gave Boston Jason Tatum, and they gave the Heat uh, Jimmy Butler. They went and, with and Tobias my, my Harris theme, and Al Horford instead. <laughs> exactly, and, my, and Josh Richardson. And uh, my, my, no. favorite, my favorite part of this whole thing – Again, when you look at, uh, at at Jimmy being here at this point and Jason Tatum here being at that point, is that the Sixers are stuck maybe for years now with, with what they've done. Then these two franchises have passed them. And, and I mean, and, and again, when you look at what Ainge did, that's the single biggest move he made because some of the other moves you can criticize. I mean, you can criticize not going all in on Kawhi. Although if San Antonio wanted Jason Tatum – you know, that's, maybe you that's get why, it. You know, for Jay- that's why they didn't do Jalen it, Jalen right? Brown is the core piece. Maybe it would have made sense. Yeah, but that's why they didn't do the trade, right? Because they were so high on Tatum this whole time. And I think we all made fun of them for not trying to trade for Jimmy Butler and Paul George and Anthony Davis and Kawhi. And still, I, I still think that's that's fair to do just because, like, I don't think Kemba Walker was – because they essentially – they did the trade for Kyrie. And that's what I was going to mention here was that I think that trade ended up being a positive because they got – uh, pretty much, even though he ended up leaving, it just kind of opened up the space for for Kemba because Ky- Kyrie got Horford out of there, by the way, which if Horford would have re-signed, they wouldn't have been able to afford Kemba. So Kyrie oh, blowing up the team and, and wanting Horford to go join the Sixers of all teams got them mm-hmm. to get Kemba as well. So I'll, <laughs> but, but the other thing, Alex, I'll give him think- some backwards, weird backwards credit there. The other place that he deserves some credit, and this is a place that, that Riley actually struggled for two years, was that he knew when to cut bait on certain guys. Yep. So whereas Pat re-signed Dion, re-signed James Johnson, re-signed Hassan, we all know what happened with Tyler Johnson. Uh, Ainge, Isaiah Thomas was top five in MVP voting, right? He didn't give him the big contract, which he got a lot of criticism for at the time, and then threw him in to the Cavs, to the trade to the Cavs, right, and dumped him. And pretty much every guy that Boston got rid of, and this is a credit to Brad Stevens too, and this is similar with Eric Spolstra. Every guy that Boston got rid of got worse somewhere else. The only guy who's recovered his value are the two in Miami right now, Crowder and Olenek. Everybody else they done, and, and for Crowder it took some time because he was not good in Cleveland. He was okay in Utah. He's been better. He's been much, much better in Miami. Olenek's been good because he went to Miami, right? And, and I just think it's interesting, too, that these two franchises that where Riley and Ainge have all this competitive, I, I don't know if it's dislike or whatever, but they have this competitive thing with each other. The, Olenek ended up in Miami, former Boston player, but also Ainge wanted to trade six draft picks for Justice Winslow. Like, yeah. <laughs> what would that have looked like if that happened? Yeah. And then another thing that's... that's um... That's interesting when you look at it, right? Is that Ainge and the Celtics have identified two, three years ago the their their young guys that they weren't going to give up for just about anything, right? 
And from the outside looking in, we laughed at them when you went and trade Tatum for this guy. You, you know, we laughed at them for, for, for not giving up uh, some of these young pieces. But now look at them. Look at where they are. They have, uh, you know, one of the brightest futures in the NBA. Now look at the Heat. Probably from the outside looking in, people think it, it would have been silly not to trade, not to include Bam in the Butler trade with the Timberwolves. Don't forget right. the, the stuff right. that happened this summer with Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook. I mean, last summer. I mean, two exactly. summers ago. Jesus also, Christ. now we're all sitting here. There's Heat fans like they wouldn't let Tyler Hero go for Bradley Beal. On the outside looking in, it looks silly. But sometimes, like like I've been saying, when you have the smart franchises, you kind of just have to trust them, right? If 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 they if they identify a guy and they say we're not we're not coming off of this contract, we're not trading this guy. Yes, from the outside looking in, it might look stupid. It might not look like the smart move. But right now, Danny Ainge and Pat Riley are having the last laugh while a lot of these guys who've made these big, you know, sweepy moves like Dal Morey are out of the playoffs. But I think you hit on it um, there with your point that they've both made mistakes, but they've both been allowed because of their stature in their particular cities to work out of their mistakes. And that doesn't happen with most other organizations. There's San Antonio. There's going to be Toronto if Masai stays. There's these two organizations where they're able to work out of their mistakes. And so I, I think that there is you – know, do people get frustrated with them internally? Yes. I mean, we had the Riley Wash stuff. There was a lot of criticism of Danny in Boston, a lot, okay? But at this point, I mean, how long is – I'm looking it up right now. How long has Danny been in charge there? It's been um, – let's see. It's been like the I mean, early 2000s. Stopped playing in 94. Yeah, 2003. Okay, he was hired as executive director of basketball operations. So you're talking now 17 years. I mean, Pat's at 25 in one organization. But, I mean, these two guys have pretty much been butting heads in the East ever since. I mean, Pat didn't have as long a down period as Boston did. But, uh, but pretty much, I mean, there has been ebbs and flows. But these have been pretty much the two organizations in the East. I mean, you talk about San Antonio in the West, and the Lakers obviously have had their moments. But it's pretty much been these two. But it's because they can work out of it. It's because there is stability in those organizations. And Danny doesn't, Danny consults others with decisions, but everybody knows he's in charge. And everybody knows in Miami, even though the whole league wants Adam Simon and you've got Shane Battier and Andy Ellisberg and, and Chet Kammerer and the Arisons and everybody else you've got in there, that it still comes down to Pat ultimately to make the final call. And I think having that kind of clarity in an organization, but having that continuity is why really this is the Eastern Conference Finals. And when we come back from the break, we're all going to make picks. That's why we're going to finish this thing because this is the Eastern Conference Finals we should have. I mean, these have been, as, as we're starting the 20s, the 2020s, um, I mean, these have been the two organizations in the Eastern Conference that kind of everybody's looked to. But before we do, I want to tell you about another great sponsor of the Five Reasons Sports Network. And if you want to get a bet in, do it over at mybookie.ag on the internet. You can place your bets. The Heat are a slight underdog in the series. They're actually a one-and-a-half-point dog in game one. So if you want to get there now, you can still get in on it. They're actually – I looked this up, guys. Um, when I uh, got involved in this in June, they were 32-1. to one. Now they're, they're about 6-1 to one to win a championship uh, this year over at MyBookie. So it's winning season over at MyBookie. Invest in your intuition and use the promo code Five on the floor at mybookie.ag, and you can double your first deposit. New players get up to $1,000 in free play. They've also got, they've got live betting, and they've got championship futures. Obviously, the NFL game's coming up again this weekend. You can bet on that Thursday night game if you want to. Bengals-Browns, I'm not sure you want to. But every play you want to make is waiting at MyBookie. So use the promo code 
five on the floor. Spell it out, F-I-V-E, on the floor. Double your first deposit. Your winning season begins today only at my bookie. All right, we're not going to get to those Zoom calls today because we ended up talking for 50 minutes. So let's just get to the picks. Nikias made a pick yesterday. He went against the Heat. Alf, your pick. I'm going to go with Heat and six. Oh, man, I love it. I got the guts. <laughs> I mean, I said Bucks and seven last series, but I said Bucks and seven, and I picked the Heat to win every game. So <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure how that That's works. That's called a hedge. But, um, That's a hedge. But yeah, I, I think Heat and six. I think um, I didn't really get to give a lot of my analysis, but I think I talked about this on a lot of the pods before and the post game shows. I just think that the Heat have the matchups for Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. And it's going to be the, the, the weight of the world is going to be on Kemba Walker's shoulders. And I want to see what he does with it. And that's, that's, I think that's what the, 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 the series is going to boil down to. And I think we forget sometimes that they have to guard uh, the Heat's guys as well. Like all the analysis yeah. I see, like, it's like, how are they going to stop Kemba Walker? And then Christian Hernandez put it out there today. Goron has been better than Kemba in every, in, like, in basically every metric throughout the playoffs. Even defensively, the Heat have been better with Goran on the floor than the, the Celtics have been with Kemba on the floor. So I think we're forgetting uh, we're forgetting the fact that the Heat are eight and one right now, and they're looking really, really good. You know, so yeah, I Heat and six. Most of ESPN, by the way, I saw that ESPN.com eleven out of twenty one reporters, including the aforementioned George Sonano, uh, picked the Heat in this series. I do feel like this is a little bit of us being in the Heat bubble, being freaked out. Uh, before Alice gives his pick, one thing to add to the Kemba discussion: I looked it up today because my memory—I want to see if it served me right. Two thousand sixteen postseason. All anybody remembers is Dwayne Wade and purple shirt guy. Kemba Walker shot thirty six percent from the floor against the Heat in that series. Averaged four assists and two turnovers. He, he averaged 22 points, but he was not efficient. And in that series, the primary defender on him was Goran Dragic. I remember it. I was there. Okay. Uh, was there some Josh Richardson? Was Yes. Was there some Justice Winslow? Yes. But it was primarily uh, Goran Dragic. And now there's a guy named Jimmy Butler who is backing up Goran Dragic and may take a lot of those reps. So I think we're freaking out a little bit too much about Kemba Walker. Alex, and let me pick. also, one, one last thing. I, I see a lot of people saying that they're going to put smart on Goran. Go ahead and have Kemba fighting through screens, chasing Please. Duncan Robinson around. Please do that. Like, I, I, so I, much I think, easier. I think people forget that Duncan Robinson, what is almost six, eight. He's going to shoot um, over him every single time. He can shoot over him up. whether he can get around the screen or not. But then you're also – you're going to run him through – you're going to run Kemba Walker through Jay Crowder and Bam Adebayo, have him recover, and then try to con contest a shot All of a right. guy about four to five inches taller than him. Please go ahead and do that. Smart is not going to be on Goran Dragic. If he is, that's a really bad move by Stevens. Smart should be all over Duncan Robinson trying to completely take him out of the picture. Alex, yeah. 30 seconds, pick – I'm with you there, man. I've really gone back and forth about this, and I'm sorry to say I'm going Heat at seven, man. What the hell did you think, man? This is not a joke. The Heat are good. The Celtics are very good. <laughs> but I'm with you, Alf. They have enough. They have the bodies to go against Tatum and Brown, and those are the guys that really scare you. Those are the guys that really scare you when you're talking about the Celtics and their season. Tatum has been the guy to really take the pressure off of Kemba to just be the second or third guy and be consistent a scorer and, and really takes the pressure off him. That's why they've had such a great balance. At the end of the day, though, 
once Bo brings out that card of Jimmy guarding Kemba, just good luck to that man because I do think they have the bodies to kind of do the offense defense subs once the game gets down to it and really get strategic with it. And I wouldn't be surprised if Spo starts doing that. Like, I don't think – like, I think that the matchup stuff is going to be under a microscope. But, yeah, I, I think the Heat have enough to deal with all of their guys. I, I believe in the Heat's offense. I, their defense has gotten significantly better and isn't as good as the Celtics. But the Celtics don't even have that much size either. Like, I don't think this team is that they don't have the scary size when you look at their bench, when, when you look at – I guess Hayward coming back is a, is a really big factor into all of this. But at the end of the day, I just think it's a more even matchup than we think. And, and what really swings it for me is the Heat shooting, the Heat's coaching, and Jimmy Butler. I trust Jimmy more than anybody else in this series. I'm, this really feels like the Cinderella run, man. I, I, this is, I'm going Heat in seven. It's going to be a great series. I'm also going Heat in, I'm also going heat in seven. Um, I, I think that the difference in this series will be depth. And I just don't think uh, Boston has enough of it. I understand that Hayward – may come back and play at some point. He's been ruled out for game one. But I also think sometimes we count on guys who have extended absences to come back and be themselves right away. I remember us having Stan Van Gundy on the pod talking about Jameer Nelson and the rust that he had when he came back, when he kind of got forced back into the NBA Finals. I don't know how Gordon Hayward's going to come back. He's had a bunch of injuries, obviously, over the past two, three years. I just don't think without him they have enough depth and to me, uh, you, you mentioned Duncan Robinson. You know, he did shoot 40% from three on nine attempts in the games against Boston this year. He will be allowed to shoot in this series uh, where he was not against, uh, you know, at Toronto. We saw, obviously, that would have been more of a problematic matchup. I think there's going to be a focus on getting him those threes. I think there's going to be a couple games from him. But I think the guy who's going to seal game seven is, is the kid. I, I just... I think we're waiting on another moment here. Um, this feels like a Tyler Hero postseason to me. His, his confidence has increased. I think Jimmy and Bam get him there. I think Tyler closes it. I, I think the Heat are going to the finals. I did not anticipate this before the season, but for a lot of the reasons we talked about, the bubble benefited this team. Great coaching, great chemistry on the roster, which mattered more than it does during a regular season where guys go home to their families or out to the bars. They're together all the time. This group likes each other. I think that was big. Obviously, we hit on Euro Goran, okay, from the beginning. Genius. Um, now Spolster is saying that in all of his calls. He's basically, he's basically saying Euro Basket Goran, that Goran's the only guy who's dealt with this before, which is what we talked about before the bubble started. I just think that they, they have, I don't know, and they've got this us against the world kind of mentality, which I think can carry you really far in this kind of circumstance. I don't believe in a lot of the chemistry usually, but they're literally living on top of each other for two months. It matters. And, and I also think their combination of youth, experience, and depth uh, is the big, big thing. I think they win this series in seven. I don't know what comes out of the other side. Um, I, I picked the Clippers to win the championship this year. They've significantly disappointed me. Heat against LeBron for everything is the series the world deserves. So at this point, let's just have it. And wait to watch them deploy the um, same game plan they did for the Bucks against the Lakers and just bet on their shooters. I, let's bet on, do it, ex man. Exactly. Yeah, the only problem is, is LeBron James ain't Chris Middleton. LeBron ain't Giannis. No, I think that's no, a fair point to make. He's not Giannis. He's not Giannis either at this stage. That's another series. We'll get to it. I shouldn't have even brought it up. Check out the streams uh, for Tuesday. I'm going to be on the pod. Alf will be hosting the stream. Also, we got something cool for you. 9 a.m., 9 a.m., check out the Five Reasons account. Our guy Adam Bore over at Clutch 
has something for you guys to get you ready for the game. So make sure you check that out. Try to identify the voices. And again, the you break wheel fix code word tonight is semi. You got to spell it right too. S E M I. We'll be back after game one. Thank you for listening to the five on the floor on the five regional sports network. Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.